had amazing love and support and kindness from my family and from my husband and from my kids and other people afterwards. Like I've been very vocal about this whole LinkedIn and the feedback and, and how it goes, goes viral and we've been talking about the importance of that. Have conversations about what's going on and keep the conversation going. You can't just have it once and it's done. Check parenting duty done or mentorship duty of a young staff member, new, new, uh, new hire, new leader, check done. This is an ongoing conversation. Hello, my friends. I'm your host, Victor Rampadrat. Welcome to the show where we share the lived experiences of ordinary people just like you. We're amplifying your voice to provide a different perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our goal is simple, humanize DEI so we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect. Our next guest has almost as many letters behind her last name than the alphabet. She left the corporate world to pursue her passion of teaching motivated adult learners. As a professional speaker, Sarah McVannell helps others recognize their greatness. Today's conversation is diving deep into some very difficult topics to shed light on inclusion. Welcome to the show, Sarah. I'm so thrilled to be here. Let's talk about the truth according to. To you. And first of all, I want to talk about this self-proclaimed best mom in the world and what it was like for you growing up and your childhood. Well, I think my mom picked up a book by Dr. Spock where it's all around unconditional love. And honestly, that's what I felt. And I, I really feel like I, I lucked out on the mom department. You and I were having a quick conversation before you hit record. And so much of our formative years has a huge footprint on us. And I really think that the reason why I'm a recognition expert today is because I was unconditionally valued and loved and supported. And I know from now launching into the world, I worked in child protection when I first finished my master's and I've worked in you know, psychiatric hospitals and various things. I know many people didn't have that foundation. So I think I feel all the more grateful now that I, A, I had that foundation and also to, to try to then make a mission, a life out of ensuring other people, if they didn't have that foundation, remember that you deserve to feel valued and appreciated in your personal life, in your work life, in your community life and beyond. That's amazing. And it's, it's, it's amazing that, you know, when we talk about foundation and, and pouring into sort of your children and, and, and how that manifests as we, uh, you know, become adults in your work and some of the things that you've seen in terms of um, that unconditional love piece, mm -hmm. how many people from sort of marginalized communities have you recognized dealing with some of the maybe lack of love as they were growing up? Do you, do you find mm -hmm. that at all? Yeah, I mean, certainly in every audience, there are people that have gone through such huge battles. I mean, I can remember before we had the the explosion of discussion and understanding about residential schools. A few years before that, when I gave a, a task for it was a, a group of of professionals in a college. So these are the non-faculty staff of a really large college here in Ontario. They were doing a staff appreciation event. And one of the questions I ask people is, who do you want to dedicate this session to? Who is somebody that inspires you, that has always recognized and valued you? And I will never forget a woman in the audience stood up and she said, you may not know to look at me. However, my family is Indigenous and my grandmother survived a residential school. And she would tell us, bit by bit, based on how old we were and how much, how mature we were about her experience. And I will dedicate every single day 
for the rest of my life to not only making her proud, but to recognize other people the way I, you know, what the way she wasn't recognized herself. And I mean, I just felt like saying, you know what, everybody, um, I'm not the motivational speaker here anymore. Let's just bring this lady up here to just tell us about her grandmother. So in every audience, no matter what people look like, no matter what, what people, the persona that they put on, we have to be curious about what is the story of, of adversity. And, and if we're curious about everybody's story, then that's the great equalizer, right? That is because everybody's voice matters and, and it, and it transcends us because it connects us at a basic human level. So, you know, yes, absolutely. I've seen that. And the more, more, you know, I talk about recognition and I, and I, you know, I encourage people to unconditionally recognize their colleagues, their family and so forth. The more I will get private messages and say, you know, I didn't grow up this way. I found this hard to do. Um, and so thank you for the reminder because it's just not part of who I am. So yes, recognition is, is, is key. It's like, it's like a soothing bomb under whatever is going on in our life right now and whatever we've been through in our life before that moment. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And I mean, you talk about adversity, you talk about sort of overcoming and that resilience piece. And I mean, there was a time where you had to build that into your family. You know, bullying mm -hmm. is, is a big problem in the inclusion conversation and, and it really knows no bounds. And, you know, something happened to your son and, and it affected your entire family. Can you, can you dive into that story a little bit and tell me a little bit about what happened with your son and how you navigated that as a family? Yeah. You know, the thing that I've come to learn about this story is it is it is a perfect example of the masculine identity of even when the kids are tiny, 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 boys are supposed to be tough and strong and not emotional and not sensitive. Well, fortunately, unfortunately for my son, he was born with his mother's disposition. He wears his heart on his sleeve and his emotions are visible in his face. And when he, he was, he was identified very early as having ADHD, some learning disabilities, learning exceptionalities, the type of exceptionalities are really coming in handy for him now he's in his first year of college, but it was not the kind of traditional school sort of needs that, that he had to be able to perform as a high functioning student. So he never really felt like he had his place. And one day we realized when I came home from work and just as a quick context, and I'm sure some of your listeners will really identify with this. You work hard to climb that corporate ladder. You, you want to create a great family life, you know, and, and securities. So you get the education and you climb the corporate ladder and you try to take on more tasks so that you get recognized and maybe get the bonus. And like the LinkedIn profile looked pretty good. You mentioned all the, you know, the, the letters behind my name. I thought that's what success looked like. That was being a grown up. You have your kids, you pay down, you get a mortgage, you pay it down and, you know, and you keep climbing the ladder. But the day I came home and I mean, I was exhausted. I think 14 hours. I don't think I'd peed all day. I was starving. But my husband said with this really deep, deep furrow between his brow, Sarah, can you just pop up and check on Justin? There's something not right. And I don't know what it is. And as I'm climbing the stairs, full honesty, he's 10. I'm thinking, no big deal. I take off my organizational psychologist type of hat that I somehow seem to have found I was wearing to the mom ha psychologist hat. And I walk up the stairs. But the second I opened the door, I just knew something was wrong. And I'm sure you've had that with your family. They don't have to say a word. You just, that feeling washes over you. 
And you're, you're almost afraid in those moments to ask, but you, you do because you love them. And when I sat down beside him on the bed in the dark with no toys out, you know, none of the way in which normally I would go home and experience my passionate, energetic son. I said, Hey bud, like bad day at school today. And he just replied, totally monotone, staring into the dark in the corner. It was a bad day for bullies. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little thrown off because he had been bullied throughout his life, but I thought that this was, it was in the past. He, we had had massive interventions in previous years, um, but we hadn't heard anything about it. But now he's in grade four. And grade four, it's not cool to, to tell your parents what's going on and you have to be tough and, you know, you have, he's a hockey player and he's tall and, you know, he's, he's got the whole persona thing already at you know, 10 years old. Mm -hmm. But in this moment, when the street lamp streamed in his room, and that's the only light that's illuminating the room, I noticed and I looked down and on his arms are cut marks up and down both of his arms because he had taken a paper clip and unfolded it after the a, a, an atrocious bullying incident at recess. And it all emotionally came to a head and he had to process his pain through physical means. And it was in that moment, A, that I felt like a total failure and B, that he, when he looked in my eyes, it was the first time when I, when we've learned about bullying as a family, that he did not believe when I said, I love you, we're going to fix this. I promise he did not believe there was any way I could fix this. He had, he did not believe that he was lovable and he was worthy and he was likable. He had totally lost hope. And when I told my husband, who also felt like a total failure because he's a teacher and he worked with at-risk youth and he had a really tough childhood himself and he worked so hard to make sure our children had a better life, a better dad than the one that he had experienced. And we did like, seriously, that was like the, that was the biggest failure that our family has ever experienced. And I'll tell you, there is no failure that I think I will ever have that's bigger than that one. But what I learned through that experience, because there was zero desire to talk about it, just like so many of the podcast episodes that you, you cover, so much of what allows disruptive behavior and bullying and discrimination and harassment is silence. That's what enables it. And that's exactly what we found at the school. And hey, I'm a big public school fan. My husband's, you know, a teacher and I have lots of my friends teach and or you know principal so I'm I it's not I'm not criticizing it's just this particular school had zero desire to look at the secrecy and the silence and the discrimination and the bullying and the harassment that was happening in this very white very privileged school so we decided we had to quit our life and that's exactly what we did we sold our house we sold our cottage I I gave 5 months notice to my job that I worked so hard to climb the ladder and, and, and I was shocked. My, my, my fellow members of senior team, they were so understanding. I, I was totally leaving them in the lurch. We had a merger that wasn't finished. We had uh, some public, I was in, in a number of different, very visible community roles. And they're like, no, you've got to take care of your family. Family has to come first. And with that kind of support and with that kind of focus, we, 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 ups, we moved the kids. We totally changed our communities, lost a lot of friends along the way. I'll tell you, learn how, who your friends are. If they're willing to say, yes, you got to do anything it takes to make sure your kids well. And we, we started a new life here in Niagara wine country, which is actually where I'm from closer to my lovely mom and dad with their unconditional love so that they could then build that unconditional love around 
our son and around our daughter, who frankly also didn't really want to leave. And that was, it, it almost reinforced to me the importance of, of dedicating the rest of my life to recognition and help, helping people to see the extraordinary moments that we miss in our ordinary lives. Because if we don't miss the extraordinary, we won't miss the not so great things that we, you know, we ignore and we put up with. So, you know, that was that that was the the bullying experience that changed everything. But I'll tell you, I was bullied as a kid and there was no desire to deal with it. I was I, I mediated bullying in, in, you know, organizations and it slowly started to grow in seriousness as in Ontario, you know, where where I live, where we had legislation that required us to take it seriously. It's it's fortunately a growing, more visible issue. But I will tell you, I don't believe for one second, even though he is now 18, so eight years later, I'm not entirely convinced that it would be this, that's it, we need to fix it. Because there were bullying programs in place before. You know, we we really have to stay, we have to be vocal and we have to be, we have to have to speak our truth and make sure that that voice is not silenced, even though it's inconvenient to people in power. Absolutely. And, you know, you brought up such a great point. There's so much I would love to unpack in that story, just mm. in terms of, you know, your son and how he must have felt in that moment to drive him to this place of of of, of requiring processing of self-harm, of this mm-hmm. pain that was really, you know, building up inside of him to you being helpless. And how do I help him? And, you know, mm-hmm. making some really tough calls um, to uproot a life that you'd built and to move your folks and your family and everyone where you felt was a safe environment. But the most important thing is that, you know, obviously your son is better today than, mm-hmm. you know, he was back then. But mm-hmm. the speaking of that truth, because like we talked about, there's a lot of people who would like to believe that these things do not happen. And when they do, we can sweep them under the rug or cover them under an NDA or what have you, but it still is perpetuating the problem. And even for yourself, I mean, that was your son's story. A few weeks ago, you had a post on LinkedIn that went viral that says, my LinkedIn profile is not a dating profile. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that backstory. Tell me what happened there. You know, what initially happened and then some of the backlash that you received from folks after you brought your truth forth well when you start speaking your truth and you make really bold choices about your life and about fighting for what's right it makes everything a lot easier it just you know you think well i did it over there so how hard is it over here and and when it comes to LinkedIn, and I I love LinkedIn. I I I find it's it's an amazing forum to build connections and a sense of professional community that you don't get on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or wherever. So like I am invested in this being a safe, healthy, professional networking and relationship building community. And unfortunately, like so much of life, there's got to be a few people who ruin the party for everybody else and what that comes in the form of, and this isn't just women, although women, my understanding is, it's certainly been my experience with my colleagues and friends, we're often, more often, the recipients. However, those who identify as he, him, they, there, we're all at risk of people using it like a dating site because 
you know, why pay for Tinder or whatever the dating sites are? I've been married 23 years, so I actually am very <laughs> unfamiliar with what those options are. My husband would be very glad to tell you. But, you know, in all seriousness, people are using this in a for, in a way that it's not supposed to. Now, if it were once, twice, you know, it'd be like, that's annoying. However, it wasn't once or twice. It was It was getting to be very frequent. And this is over years, this has been happening, where people reach out and they say things like, I really like your smile. You're very pretty. You know, I hope you, and then it's like, I hope you don't mind. Yeah, hell, I mind. Cause I'd mind if I were in a boardroom, you wouldn't be able to like, excuse me, Um, I'd like a question. I think you're very pretty. I'm just wondering, like, do you have plans tomorrow? Like you never do that in a workplace. At least you shouldn't do that in a workplace. So, you know, part of the post on LinkedIn was, I've tried lots of different things. I've reported it. Fortunately now they have reporting. They didn't when this first started happening. I've tried taking screen captures and putting it up there. I've tried blocking and, you know, and, and reporting the spam, so many different things. And it was still happening. And every time that I get somebody reaching out and they say, it's, you know, something about looks, it minimizes me down to all those accreditations, all of those, that work experience, it pushes it to the side and makes you a being based on looks. And that is what, what women in particular have been fighting to be seen as more than decoration for centuries, for, you know, for decades and decades. Like my mother didn't burn her really fabulous bra in the seventies for me to be still being sexually harassed on the, the, the main social media platform. So that's a ruin of a perfectly good bra if it's not going to help the next generation, right? So it was really a desire at one point to just, and it was recently, it was a month ago, just to say, you know what? You need to pass these five tests before you reach out to somebody. And, and if you're not sure it passes these tests, then you shouldn't be sending it. The workplace test, if you couldn't do this in a workplace or else you might get fired, don't do it. And the networking test, if you did this in a networking form, you'd be kicked out. The front page test, if your image went on the, or your, your message went on the front page, would you be okay? Your spouse or, you know, if you, they saw it or your <laughs> employer or your kids or whatever, right. you're the, the, um, the, the offspring test, would you be okay if somebody else reached out to your child this way? And so, some fifth test that I thought was really good at the time that I can't even remember in this moment. But the point is, if you, if you can't be proud of what you do in a social media platform and the test is even higher when it's a professional platform like LinkedIn, then you definitely shouldn't be doing it. And I really wanted to raise awareness about two things that are the, the biggest arguments. Number one, that's just bots. That's what happens when you're on a social media platform. You're just going to have to just, you get what you get and you don't get upset. You're lucky to have the platform. And that whole apathy, writing it off thing doesn't work for me. And the second one is that, you know, everyone, this can happen to anyone. So you're not so special. And that's what a lot of the backlash was, is in some people weighing in like, I don't believe in this. This whole, this is like just women and it happens to men too. And, you know, it's I, I said it happens to everybody. So that's the first thing is that people can get very defensive that this is a gender-based issue. It shouldn't happen to anybody, first of all. The other thing that people get backlash about is, oh, well, some people put pictures of their their, their bodies or their abs. And, you know, like it's, it is actually, it, it, it is people, you know, demonstrating their physical attributes or don't tell me that you don't like smile beautifully and have your picture touched up as a way of, of having people visit your profile. And 
thankfully this, and this is what I think helped to make it viral. People were so quick to respond. If you're a fitness trainer, and that is why you're on this platform, because you want to sell people the opportunity to be fit and healthy, of course, you're going to have a fitness-based profile picture. If you're trying to get a job and you're trying to put your best foot forward, of course, you're not going to just take a quick selfie with your, you know, crumbs hanging out of your mouth. Of course, you're going to have it professionally taken. It's a professional platform. So there was a lot of really anchorous toxic, discriminatory, harassing comments. In fact, it really came to a head one day when somebody created a fake profile, sent me an, a message directly to my in-mail. So purchased the in-mail or, you know, purchased or got the, you know, free 30-day thing to send me an in-mail to say, you know what? You're ugly. You're not my type. You're clearly a narcissist. I would never want to date you. And you're just using this as a platform to make yourself look good. Wow. I mean, talk about toxicity, right? So there, and there was no way to report that because the second that got sent, it was taken down. The profile was, it was taken down. And, and unfortunately right now, and I've had LinkedIn has reached out to me. We've had some conversations. I've given lots of suggestions based on the, I've read every single comment of the hundreds of comments. And I've, and I've looked at all of the, you know, the feedback about how widespread this issue is. And I've given feedback to LinkedIn. And unfortunately, there's there, although there are lots of things that are, have been put in place in terms of reporting, there's also some things that they're going to be doing, such as trying to make the reporting button more visible. However, it's happened again. Somebody reached out to me, got around the profile, sent the message directly to me. I took a screen capture, sent it to my now contact at LinkedIn. And she said, well, there's nothing really we can do. If somebody goes outside the platform, I call BS. I love my LinkedIn and I really hope they don't kick me off the platform for saying this. But guess what? You own responsibility. If I have a party on my property and somebody I didn't invite comes and gets drunk and goes and has an accident, I can get sued because it was my party. LinkedIn, it's your party. If it's your party, you need to protect your guests or else you're going to lose your guests because I will tell you, I'm a little bit on a soapbox. Can I just carry the soapbox through just a little bit longer? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Guess what? LinkedIn and everybody else who's not paying attention to your curating your community and creating psychological safety. This next generation who hasn't hit the workplace yet, they are not going to put up with this. There was, a, there was a girl who was sexually assaulted at my daughter's school and they brought it forward with all of this evidence to the principal. And there probably was lots of investigation and things happening behind the scenes, but it was not fast enough for these kids. They needed to hear, I am looking into this. They organized a rally in two days. A, two schools ended up having rallies in support of them. It got radio attention, newspaper attention, TV attention, two days for an alleged assault that now they have charged this person. But at the time it was, you know what, we're going to do our thing that this next generation is mobilizing. So LinkedIn and every other platform, every organization, if you want to have the next generation come and work for you, be on your platform, buy in your stores, you need to make sure you're creating psychological safety. It's a discrimination and harassment free environment because they will not put up with it. And in fact, they will probably be your biggest advocates about why people won't go and they have so much power now and they were not afraid to use it. So that's the tail end of my soapbox because that experience was just one, two months ago that that rally happened. So 
be warned platforms and workplaces because the next generation is savvy and they don't they're not afraid to use that savviness absolutely and i love the fact that you know in terms of the mobilization is the fact that you know this group of 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 teens um, mm -hmm. have come together to support one of their own and and sort of almost go up against the institution to demand mm -hmm that something be done and something be looked at. Because like I said, I think a lot of times uh, folks, you know, benefit from the fact that these things are kept hush-hush and benefit oh. from allowing the continuation of these things to happen. I remember last year seeing a post on LinkedIn where a, a woman was very frustrated, very similar to you about, you know, being harassed and picked up online and there was a member who i had known uh who's actually like the top member in this really big tech company's community like he's mm -hmm. the number one member in their pro community and he went on to comment something around sexy is the new and he had something to say about it almost trying to make light of this person's trauma and pain and when i brought it up to the to the headquarters the hq they wouldn't even email me back. And I wow. reached out to their general counsel. And, 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 and once again, I don't want to name names because I, I'm not looking to get either A, kicked off the platform or B, mm -hmm. sued for this. But at the end of the day, these things yeah. are real. The companies are being made aware of it, but they choose to do nothing. Mm. And that is unfortunate, especially in today's world where women are many times, especially because of some of the social media objectified. Yes. Right. Yeah. Now I will say that there are women who utilize it to be objectified in the sense of building a following, etc. But you said time and place. LinkedIn is a professional platform. We are here as professionals to grow our network, to meet amazing people like you. But at the end of the day, not mm -hmm. to be harassed, discriminated against, where do you think is the line for speaking your truth and mm -hmm. taking it too far? Where, where do you think that line is? Well, and that's why I, I go back to the tests, right? So speaking your truth, would you speak that truth in a workplace? In, uh, you know, if your grandmother was listening, if your, you know, your, your spouse, your kids, your pastor, you know, if you're spiritual, filter it through. It, do you, does it stand up as your truth, no matter who you share that? So if this person ran that, it, would he or she or they say it in front of, I think you said it was a he, say it in front of a room full of his peers? Would he say it at a boardroom table? Would he say it at his church, at congregation on Sunday? If, would he say it at the dinner table with his, the people he loved most um, sitting there? And we can be very flippant. You know, uh, one of the things you had said is that some women use, you know, visually they use that that to appeal. Same with men. You know, we all can do that. And and one of the things that I think we need to be careful about is not because we call it social media, we sort of bucket it all together. However, social media is very different. Who are you communicating with? I mean, you and I are very, very active on many different forms of social media. My TikTok channel is all these silly workplace spoofs. And I would never say to a, you know, a client like, 
your onboarding problem is really, really ridiculous, but I'll do a workplace spoof so that, you know, people may find that funny and go, oh yeah, probably my workplace is a bit like that with onboarding. But that doesn't fit in other places, in other platforms. However, I'm not going to do that in a bathing suit, you know, because I don't really, I, I don't want to be seen as that way. Although if I did decide that would be the place to do it, that would be the platform. So I think what we need to, to remember and to consider is what is the test of okay as a human being, right? How do I want, because it never goes away. Your post that you put up there three years ago will still potentially be findable. And I know this from a dear, dear person in my life who is trying very hard for reasons I can't get into needing to be invisible for a while, just for, like from a safety standpoint, mm -hmm. it is so hard to become invisible. It is, it is virtually impossible to become invisible. So that is also on the side of whatever you put out there, you have to be okay with your future spouse, future in-laws, future boss, uh, future buyer of your company, future podcast host, finding that. And if it doesn't meet that test, first of all, don't do it, don't say it. Second of all, pick the platform where it's appropriate. If you want to do the before after pictures, cause you've been on this like amazing health kick and you're so proud of yourself. You probably don't want to put it somewhere where people will, will look at you as less professional, like LinkedIn. It's part of who you are. So share your journey by all means. But I, you know, I still think that we can't, we shouldn't be judging people if they do choose to put it somewhere that if it's harmless, right? I don't mean harassment, discrimination, that's different. If somebody chooses to share lifestyle, a motivational thing, whatever, like come at it with kindness. You know, where where that, you know, all platforms, we need to just have a sense of kindness. So even if the people disagree, right? Like those people in that that feed in there, if you really disagree with the the comments around, let's say the five tests and that it's you you actually believe it's okay to reach out to people romantically push back in a respectful way, not in a hostile, aggressive, you know, just reinforcing the whole dominant, aggressive male myth. You're just you're like, you're just building the case for why this is not okay. Be gentle and kind and be a, be a healthy disruptor. And that's where we have the truthful conversations, right? That's where we're going to get more traction of reducing secrecy because we are having a conversation together versus an opposition. So I hadn't really totally formulated that, but I, I think that that's, I think to quote Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and you know, one of the things is that, you know, uh, in the comments all across LinkedIn, uh, and, and that's really the platform I choose. Uh, I've sort of like, I don't do the, the other stuff because I, you know, I am someone who believes that social media just takes too much time. And I really, mm. if I'm going to focus any time, it's going to be somewhere where I feel like I'm amongst peers. And mm -hmm. when I talk about LinkedIn, that's kind of the one and only place that I feel that I'm in a peer network where there are intelligent conversations happening. Mm. There's interesting conversations happening. There's great communication going across. But every once in a while, you come across someone and you just shake your head and you're like, why? Yeah. Why? And, exactly. I, and it's almost about, like you said, being kind, having civil discourse instead mm. of aggressive, you know, polarizing, very harassment, discriminative sort of commentary that make people feel 
very poorly, make other people triggered, and a lot of times really makes you look like someone you probably don't want to be. Like you said, you don't want that plastered on the front page. And it's mm-hmm. funny that that individual I mentioned had emailed saying when I, when I had sent it off to that corporate office saying, because I told him, I think you probably should remove that. And he mm-hmm. did. And he's like, you kept a copy. That wasn't cool. And I'm like, yeah, I kept a copy because that's not right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and it needs to be brought to uh, the forefront. But once again, that's where we like to sweep things under the rug. So for those people who do not receive that sort of voice, that that amplification, if you will, I've got a little girl. It's no secret, like I said, that women are victims of sexual harassment, both on and offline. You mentioned mm-hmm. that story at your daughter's school. What are some tips you would provide to build resilience in young women dealing with um this suffering of of, of sexual mm-hmm. harassment both yeah. either off or online well talk with your like you and i i'm sure we've had these tough conversations with our daughters about you don't have to put up with this and finding some some planning ahead of time what the conversation and the pushback can be and have conversations with our sons um no matter what your children how they define their gender have conversations with them all about this is the reality. And I'll tell you, my son is a huge advocate for women and girls who have been victims, either, you know, kind of lower grade, not okay, right through to people sharing their pictures that they have shared privately and and unfriending with those people who shared it to the whole class because you can do something called, and this is this is a lesson for parents and I don't know how old your daughter is, but this is a good lesson for you. You can airdrop anyone who has an Apple phone. If you have your airdrop turned on and you airdrop a picture like that, it could go to everybody's phone as long as the person accepts it. So imagine if you've taken a private picture and you've shared that with one person and you guys have a fight that morning and our teenagers don't have our their prefrontal lobes fully developed. They could decide, huh? Oh, yeah, you, do, you were talking with that person. I don't like it. I'm going to airdrop the picture you just sent last night. And it's out there and, and it could go. Now, there's a lot of there in, in Ontario, there's legislation that if if then you forward, if you receive it and then you forward it on, you can be in trouble. However, if you've received, if you if you were on the receiving end and you shared it, that's that's still some gray area. So that's the first thing I would say is talk with your all of your children about the about what is okay and what's not okay. Teach them very specific topical things such as pictures and how it is not acceptable anytime for any reason to do some of those things because of the consequences that can happen. Um, before they start their job, talk about what, what you can expect that would be okay. What's respectful behavior, um, sexual harassment or not. It could also be unsafe work. I mean, more, more young people die at the workplace who are under 24 than any other category. So talk to them about unsafe work as well. Um, All of the life experiences before the kids find themselves in that tough spot, talk with kids about what they can expect. When we taught our kids about sex, we talked to them about about harmful sex as well. Not just STD and AIDS, we talked to them about protection. We also talked to them about sexual violence and 
my mother said to me, and God love her, she's like, are you sure that that's the kind of how you want to lead it? Like, you know, shouldn't we talk? She's a hippie, right? Hippie child. Originally, she's not hippie now. But, you know, 70s, right? Love. Like, we yeah, but you know what? I, I'll tell you, I my some of my early relationships were not healthy. We're not. And I was unprepared. I, you know, I blame myself in what I, what I experienced because I wasn't prepared. So prepare our, our children. Then they are more prepared young adults. And then they can mentor and support and they can be the voice for other people when they haven't experienced that when they haven't maybe had the same mentorship and support. Because I'll tell you, I've had amazing love and support and kindness from my family and from my husband and from my kids and other people afterwards. Like I've been very vocal about this whole LinkedIn and the feedback and, and how it goes, it goes viral. And we've been talking about the importance of that. Have conversations about what's going on and keep the conversation going. You can't just have it once and it's done. Check parenting duty done or mentorship duty of a young staff member, new, new, uh, new hire, new leader, check done. This is an ongoing conversation. And if you if you are mentoring and supporting or, or raising a, a child who is Caucasian white, talk with them about how do you support BIPOC classmates and friends and, you know, and, and future leaders, BIPOC kids and, and, you know, and leaders talk with Caucasian and white, uh, you know, about the experience, like, this is what we need. And this is what it's like for you. And let me to ask me, you know, let's have a conversation both ways. Because the more we have, as you said, I love your term around healthy discourse, the more we have healthy discourse about the tough things that are happening. Like we have that at the dinner table all the time. My son, who like my husband is white as well, that, you know, he feels like I sometimes I don't know what I can say, because I, I feel like it's people will assume I'm discriminatory if I say anything and I'll and, and I'll say, well, you got to you got to check yourself because you are privileged. You were you were born into poverty. You've never seen violence. You are white. You've you've had a great education. You're privileged like you may not think that you're privileged, but you are. So you need to filter it. You need to run it through a perception filter. And same with my daughter, you know, she'll say, oh, all men, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, 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 you need to run that through a filter. Would it be okay to say all women are? No. So we can't reverse discriminate because that is the okay discourse of the day. So, you know, that's the broad answer to how do you prepare, you know, your daughter or other young kids to be able to navigate their way in the world, whether it's the academic world, the work world, it has planned the conversation understand the obstacles. One of the books I wrote is Flip Side of Failing. Plan for the failure now, and then you have your game plan and your strategy, rather than, oh my gosh, I'm unprepared. We'll still feel unprepared for some of the really awful things. We can't prepare for everything, and we're not gonna blame the victim. If you've been a victim, like, and you don't know what to do or say, obviously it's not your fault. And, and you probably will it won't bring you to your knees quite as much if you at least have a tool or strategy or somebody in the back of your mind saying, okay, we talked about this before. I wonder if you told somebody, I wonder if you, you know, advocated for yourself, have prepare each other, support each other by planning that these unfortunately awful things still happen in our academic environments in our work environments in our community environments. What's the game plan? Where's the support network? 
And how is that support network within you too? I love that. And I love, you know, one of the things that I noticed on LinkedIn is as much as the the folks that came on and sort of, you know, quote unquote, trolled the posts or trolled you, um, there was a tremendous amount of support for you as well. And, you know, I loved seeing that in that professional environment because people came to your defense. People came to your aid. They came to provide a comforting word. And I think that, you know, leading with that level of kindness, building, building that resiliency, creating that support network because the tough things do happen. I mean, it's it's hard to get away from them. There are people, there are bad actors, there are people with bad intentions. Um, uh, some of them conscious, some of them unconscious. You know, they may not even be aware uh, of some of the things that they may be doing or how it could be perceived, right? So I love the idea of running it through that filter. Now, there's something that you mentioned about your husband, and it's, it's something that um, we've been talking a lot about because, you know, I'm BIPOC, right? I, I'm a person of color. Um, but majority of my friends are Caucasian. And, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm always the one that they're like, y- you're not like everyone else. You're a little bit different, Victor, right? Like, and, and, I, and I ask them why. And, and it's almost like they're afraid to say the wrong thing because many of them are being called racist when I know these people. They're good people. Um, that's not their intention, but because of their skin color in today's society, it's become a bit of a liability. Have you ever felt that, uh, in, in sort of the last year or so, um, as, as the conversation has been elevated against, uh, it, it almost feels like, you know, BIPOC white, like we're having this, uh, very challenging discussion. Have you, have you felt that? What, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings on that? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I guess there's two things. One is that I am still in one of the groups where we are struggling to have our voice heard, to get paid the same amount as men and so forth. So, you know, being a woman, I I think it's probably a a different situation. Um, And the fact that I have been on the victim of my gender, you know, as a result of that. So um, I feel that I can speak from that place of needing to assert myself because of, you know, needing to be a, be strong for my gender. So, you know, uh, skin color aside, I would, um, I would say my, my approach to my skin color has been to try to learn and, and seek out what is, has been missing in my education. I grew up in a community where there was, people were only white. Uh, there you were, there were maybe a few Catholic people. Everybody else was Christian. Even in the community I live now, there's very little, um, diversity in my neighborhood, in our kids' school and so forth. So you have to seek it out and, um, making some connections with people that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious about what they're doing, what I can learn. So a great example is, um, when I was uh, speaking at an event, one of the members who is a owns a business um, in the call management organize, uh, call management industry. I've spoken a, a, to a fair amount of those conferences. His mom was in a residential school. He is uh, him, and it, most of the people he employs are indigenous. And we just sort of vibed on a human level. And he chose to share with me when all of the the pain of all of the burials, the you know the the graves being um, discovered and, and, and he chose to, and I was very outwardly saying like, I am sorry as a settler and ally, I am sorry. And we have to do better. I will learn what I didn't learn in my education. I will teach my children. We will 
we will, and I, I don't expect you to be the one to teach me. I will go out and I will try to learn. And I welcome you to tell me if, if there's something else I could be doing. And he responded to that. Um, he's going to let me share for the first time. He's going to let me share in an upcoming second edition of my book, Forever Recognize Others Greatness, his mom's story. It has never been told. It has never been told outside of their dinner table. And even then that was in minimal. So I'm so grateful to Tim for his kindness and generosity. And it's because I want to know because I'm not ashamed of being white and Caucasian and having had the privileged life that I have because I am, I'm primed to be able to be an, a, a hungry recipient of more knowledge. I can use my place of privilege in which to be humble and curious and to learn. And I'm, and I'm educated. So I have a foundation in which to build that on. Um, yesterday, um, I have an amazing client. We met through my last senior leadership role. She's a senior leader on a, on, um, a reserve and she's the, the director of health services. She's done amazing transformational things. We built a very strong partnership. It was, I was the first leader in the organization that directly reached out to physically went to, to their onsite with them, went for a tour, really wanted to build a stronger relationship um, between our mostly white staff and and um, our their, the indigenous community. That was only half an hour drive from our, our building. And we have stayed so connected because we really respect what each other's doing. She reached out to me last week and she said, you know, I really want to end our leadership retreats. First time we've been back in person since COVID. We want to end with a recognition activity. Of course, that's my jam, right? I'm like, oh, would love to. And I said, so much of your agenda is about deep conversations, about social justice and understanding the, the experience for people in this community. And, and what does that mean for you as a leadership team? I am white. I'm the only I, I'm an external person and I think I, I want to offer another alternative to you. What if I provided you with a, a video that walked people through the activity, all the tools? Um, I, we found some creative ways. I, I created a kudo board for people to put the, their, the activity, to put it up and share it with each other. And I said, and then see how it goes. See if people want me to come to the next one to be physically there with them, perhaps having Another way of doing it might be a way of respecting and honoring. This would be a powerful way to close out without me physically needing to be there in the space where your elders and other, you know, indigenous, powerful, meaning-making advocates are there. I don't want to have any unintended consequences of your retreat. And she was so, being the wonderful person that Lori is, she was so open to that. She said, that's great. Let's try it. So you know, part of what we need to know as from a place of, of privilege is when we need to offer um, a humil from a place of humility, I, I, I want to support, I want to be part of the solution. What if we looked at it differently? I've never done an event like that. I've never facilitated a recorded, here's all the tools. I would have two years ago, I would have been there in a heartbeat. It would have been amazing. I would have attended. I would have learned so much, but it wasn't about me. Like I would have thought like, oh, I'm going to be able to be a sponge. Um, and I think that it was the right call. I, I can't wait to have a conversation with her afterwards. I'm seeing on the kudo board how they've just filled it with all these amazing, you know, all of that, this exercise and their greatness. And it's just like, wow, it's just, they did an incredible job. So I've seen kind of the planned output. I can't wait to hear from her. 
if that was the right tone. I don't know. I'm figuring out as I go. But I, I, I have to be aware that because I am in that place of privilege, I have to be willing to say, because I am in a place of privilege, is that going to be helpful or harmful? And I don't know the answer to that. So all I can do is ask the questions. So that's those are a couple of examples of, of you know, of, of trying to navigate it with humility and no apologies, because I didn't choose the way I was born. So how do how do we show up as the best human we can in the current context with with what we've got? I love that. And, and you're absolutely right. None of us can choose that the way we were born. We have to navigate through with the tools that we have, the things that we learn, you know, that allyship component. But I think if we deeply root back to sort of what you said about humanity and kindness and, and trying to lead with, am I helping or am I harming? Uh, and, and really just trying to understand everyone's perspective. I think a lot of times we get so caught up in just our own perspective where you said something, which is something that we talk a lot about. It's not about me. It's about them. Right. And how do you really put yourself in that empathetic state to look at someone else's position and not just your own and even to maybe rethink your own position based on the context and information that you're getting from the other party or parties, if you will. Now you gave us some really great sort of, tools and frameworks and things to think about in terms of, you know, um, women and sort of bullying and, 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 and there's something that, you know, as a man, um, you know, I know that there are men that have been accused of things like sexual harassment to have those claims go unfounded. Uh, but the reputational damage still stands. And it's something that some men are very cognizant of, especially if they could be married or um, don't want that sort of reputation to to linger with them throughout their career. And some of them may have reservations to mentor a female colleague. Um, what advice would you give to any male listener looking to, you know, want to provide that help to bring that equity piece there, but are concerned about being uh, looked upon um, as someone who may get into a situation that could, could be detrimental to their career? What would you, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say um, rather than come from a place of fear, come from a place of curiosity. So this is the, this is the time that we're in. We have to be very aware of um, how our intentions, best of intentions come across because there are other people who have very devious intentions. So that's the reality, right? Is that if everybody had good intentions and there was no sexual harassment anymore, then we could probably pretty quickly get over this, you know, kind of delicate time that we're in, if that's the right way to describe it. Um, the reality is sexual harassment is still happening. And I will tell you because I have friends who are going through it right now. I have friends who are having to um, make very serious choices to protect their safety as well. So we are not past the injustice. And, you know, and this is this is true of so many things, as you and I have touched on in this conversation. So because of the fact that other people are still not snapping up like, you know, ship shape, it's very important for you to find the way to do this that is that that is is going to be they let them guide you. So let's say you have a a, a new staff member and you're, she would be the perfect candidate to mentor. You could say we have a mentorship program. Um, we we have opportunities for you to select 
um, somebody in our team to mentor you. I would be very happy to do that. You may have other people that you would like to approach. How would you like to handle that? Give her choices. Maybe she wouldn't pick you because you are a man or because actually she's more interested in working with this person. So that's one way to do it is give people choices. Now from that place of choice, she chooses you, male or not, she chooses you. You could say, great, what, what would be the way in which you would most like that mentorship to happen? In the past, it's looked like I've had lunch with people. In the past, I've brought them to conferences and then we've had discussions. Um, there's probably other ways. What would look well? What, look, what would be the right way for you, do you think? Do you, or what would be the right way to start that? Have them guide that conversation or guide that planning. Try it out. How's it going for you? Um, and, and then always make sure it is somewhere that's public, right? So my husband being a teacher, he's not, he never is in a room with a female student, any student, but particularly female students with the door closed. I can remember being in classrooms with the door closed with my male teachers and that never, I, that would, shouldn't ever happen anymore. But I'll tell you, I have been looked up and down by, I can remember my grade nine math teacher. I will never forget him. I, like see how, what happens to my face? Right. Yep. He was disgusting. Right. None of us wanted to be even in his classroom and we definitely didn't want to be called to the front of the room. So you know, we have to be, he always has, he, and he's wonderful, respectful. He's, he's, I mean, obviously wouldn't be married to him otherwise, but you know, he, but he's still, because he's one of the good guys, he knows, keep the door open. Um, and, and so let people be the steer the ship. And just because you're the one who's going to be giving the mentorship about their, your professional grounding, helping orient them to the organization and so forth, let them call the shots on the things they can control. Because you know what the positive unintended consequences of that, they get a chance to have agency. They get a chance to feel like, wow, like maybe, maybe I, I'm valued. I'm really appreciated. I'm, I, I'm more of an equal to you because I've made choices. Granted, they're easy, simple choices. However, it's not been, I'm the expert. I'm the one of power. Because you know what? By asking the questions, you've now just leveled the power. Because that's what, what sec why sexual harassment can happen. One person has the power over somebody else. So level out the power. And, and, and then if you, know, if you have any concern whatsoever, don't mentor somebody. Like you can say no as well. Um, maybe in fact in organizations, if you have enough bench strength, maybe you should be matching people by gender and then giving lots of support to people. If you feel like this could, your organization is putting people at risk, why not match by gender or by, you know, by preference, by, by area of expertise, have a very formal process that's outlined. And you know what, if you really want to mentor and it is, you know, you're like, I'm not going to let the fact that this person is a female and this person's a high potential. I am not going to not mentor them because of their gender. Great. If you ever want to make sure that if, if the outrageous, which is very rare, right? Outrageous happens, document. We met on this day, we met in this room, we talked about this, keep track of it. Documentation, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's your way of being able to have a record of what actually happened. Because if you have to go back, if somebody alleges an, alleges an allegation, then you're going to have to provide that documentation anyway. And I'm not saying you're going to have to like overly document. It just could be, where did you meet? What did you talk about? Um, you know, and, and then you can at least remember if you ever have to go back in and, 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 you know, keep, keep track of that. 
there's a lot of, it's not just sexual harassment. There's also people that are being alleged of being racist, even, you know, a BIPOC person being racist against another BIPOC group. People are being, you know, um, accused, sometimes career limiting, um, you know, it dragged through the paper without it ever being a, any allegations being proven. Um, so, so this is the reality that's sexual harassment, race, religion, and so forth. So be very aware of how your actions come across to others. Be very aware of the fact that this is the political climate that we're in right now and, and do the best you can be the, be a good person because if it ever has to get investigated and if there ever is that allegation, you, we have to trust that you will be found as it's either unsubstantiated or it's been thrown out. And I know friends and colleagues who have had those allegations and it's been cleared because of the fact that there was no grounding to it. So know that, know, know that there are lots of things that, that you have control over. You're not a victim of this time that we're living in. That's great. And, and, and to your point, like I, I've had friends who have gone through the same process and I, and I know that there are people that are shy, but I think, you know, to that equity piece, you know, there's uh, there is a position of power that a lot of males have within organizations and mm-hmm. by helping to upskill and helping to navigate and, and uh, the corporate sort of landscape, we're able to make a way. Right. And I'm hoping that through the work that we're doing and part of the reason why I started this company is that when my daughter gets to the boardroom, there is more quality. She's not going to have to hope someone opens the door for her, Mm -hmm. that she has the equal opportunity and level playing field, regardless of her color of skin or her gender, where are sometimes limiting factors in today. Now, there is something that we ask each and every guest. How do you think as a society we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect? Mm. Recognition. If people feel seen, heard, and valued, then respect comes along for the ride. Uh, Inclusion comes along for the ride. Um, Harassment and discrimination, you cannot have that coexist with truly authentically recognizing and valuing people as people, not by their, their group that they belong to or the fact that they're more attractive or whatever sort of some of these art, more artificial, like, you know, um, it's sometimes the things that we, we, that are victim to discrimination and harassment, um, recognize and value people always. We are, it is, um, it's a basic human need. Every single one of us has, whether you are your daughter, I love it how you said when, your daughter uh, running that board because she's the, you know, the chair of the board through to her very first job. She needs to and deserves to feel valued, heard, seen, and appreciated all throughout her career. Academic career, her, her uh, professional career, the association she belongs to, and of course her family environment, which I know you do. That's hence the mission you have for her, right? So we we're in a recognition crisis right now the the great resignation and the turnover tsunami um look no further the companies that have kept their great people it's because they there's it's their psychological safety they feel appreciated they know that people would notice and it would matter if they didn't come back tomorrow there are healthy environments that that people can thrive so recognize 
value, appreciate people, you will never run out of runway of relationships when people feel that you, that, that when people know that they matter to you. I love that. That's amazing. Where can people find you? Uh, well, social. <laughs> um, also, my website is greatnessmagnified.com. And um, would love to have people, you know, um, jump into the conversation anytime. Send me a private message uh, based on what you thought you had to say, what I had to say. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll hang out together and in, in, uh, in, together on LinkedIn, and maybe we can host uh, some uh, follow up conversation. Would not be great if we had a link to uh, to a post in your show notes where people can have some dialogue with us about some of the things that we've talked about. What do you think? Should we do that? Well, we'll definitely be adding your your contact information in the show notes, and I think that people should definitely connect with you. I, I really enjoyed today's conversation. I think that it was vulnerable, it was authentic, and it really brought to light, you know, like I said, some of the challenges that are being faced uh, out there, not only in um, schools, but mm. in the professional environments, as well as on social media, and the things that we could do to all be better. And really, from mm. what I'm hearing is foundationally, there's an element of humanity, there's an element of kindness, there's an element of understanding, and obviously empathy. So I want to thank you so much for joining us here today. And there you have it, folks, the truth according to Sarah McVannell. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Our show is sponsored by Discourse. We build belonging into the DNA of DEI. You can visit us on the web at discourseagency.com or check out our YouTube channel, Discourse Agency. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave a review, drop a comment, and most importantly, share it with a fellow human. Thank you so much for your support. And remember, your truth is your experience. Bye for now.